Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, at KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and you might be live streaming at kpoo.com. All right, we are going to get started with the show. We are going to hear from Joka Hashima Jinsai. It's been a little bit since we have heard from him. He is the author of one of many books, um, The Indictment or Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex Concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. Um, He is the founder of Amend the 13th Campaign and AIM, the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission that comes out of it. So um, we haven't heard from him in a while. He's going to be talking to us about um, uh, American fascism, uh, something that I know you, if you've been listening to this show, have heard before, but I'm hoping that... Uh, we have some new listeners, and uh, so you will be hearing this for the first time. But also, I don't think we can really hear about it too much because we have been conditioned to think that that is not what's taking place here in America with 3Ks, Inc. Uh, we, our minds are colon, uh, colonized. They have been numbed and conditioned into thinking that this capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist way of doing things is uh, the norm and, and that we should accept it. And we should not. So um, I think it's important to hear from our new African uh, nationalists, our new African revolutionaries, because they have been systematically um, <clears throat> repressed and oppressed in our uh, uh, slave plantations, also known as prisons, uh, specifically because they are new African revolutionary nationalists. And so we need to hear from them so we can hear the truth of what is taking place in this country. So, um, yes, get ready for that. Uh, We will also be uh, delving into some other things as well. So stick with us. All right, here we go. Okay, just as I was about to get started on the pre-recording of this show, I did get a call from Setawa Nantambu Jama'a, Uh, giving me an update about the medical neglect and retaliation that he is still being subjected to at the slave plantation known as California Healthcare Facility. Um, If you recall from listening to this show, Setawa Nantambu Jama'a is being retaliated against continuously because they know who he is as a leader and organizer of uh, the historic California hunger strikes subjected to decades of solitary confinement meant to break them, and yet he has emerged unbroken. And uh, because he also was the um, leader and organizer and one of the main and one of the four main representatives around the agreement and hostilities, and they won their case um, in the Ashker v. at the time Brown, Governor Brown, Uh, settlement to be released from the torture of solitary confinement and um, into a general population. So um, uh, CDC, small r, does not like uh, that they they won this and that they had the support of uh, thousands of people on the outside. um, And so they continue to retaliate against those that uh, were a part of those hunger strikes and the agreement and hostilities, which they still try to compromise. So uh, 
this beautiful elder new African is, uh, uh, is still inside, and I have the privilege of being able to be in regular uh, connection with him. And so here is his latest on the medical neglect and fraud that is taking place. You, you know, uh, I was doing some looking through some papers the other day, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what I found out. This place, when I was here the last time, the physical therapy, occupational therapy, and wrote a report when I was going to Ashbury, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Ashbury, Dewberry benefit from us. But physical therapy and uh, occupational. Now, I didn't see that paper until I got back here now. Now, when I was reading, when I was at Ashbury, though they had kept me in the bed unless I was going on the visit or something. Now, the thing was, from July of 2020 to May of 2021, I didn't get no therapy occupational. But the thing was, the, the caseworker was telling me, oh, you can't get no therapy, physical therapy, occupational, because the prison doctors said you, uh, you have to get the okay from them. Now, when I got moved down there, the report that the occupational wrote up here, she told me, she said, do it, then tell me, look at your record. And I go basically going to write a detailed thing that you benefit from this. And you can get better to be mobile. So that you continue on with these recommendations. You know the people that has been, didn't give me no physical therapy the whole time I was there. Or occupation. So they basically lied or just ignored. Either they lied or ignored the recommendation. Uh, they, 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 they lied about the recommendation to me. Because mm-hmm. when I was in Ashbury, they had me there and I'm going to the business. But the thing was, all for 2021, it was a, it was a derby guy to come see me around about uh, April. He said, "Derby, can you sit on the edge of the bed and stuff?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Could you stand?" I said, "No, I ain't got no strength in my leg. I need to get on one of them standing lifts or, or uh, on the parallel bars to get strength and stuff." He told me, "He said, Duvet." This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Unless you ask someone about it. He said, but the person that got to okay is a case worker named Maxima. Aaron does, that's it. 
they got their tank in the gym. I said, but neither one of them is doctors. He said, but they got the authority to get your physical therapy or not. And if we don't get no order from them, you don't get no physical therapy or nothing. I said, nah, so I got a Marine. And then in May, Marie got us a maximum amount of therapy. And she said, she, uh, I, I can't get it. I got her in May. And she was saying, you can't get it unless the prison order it. Which was a complete lie the whole time. So all that time I was there, I wouldn't get it without I was there. And they blocked me. They blocked me from getting traveling there. It was a restaurant up in uh, Richmond, California. That was going to accept me to be moving out there. But the director of that place used to work at Ashbury. And Ashbury had a bad jacket, me and Marie come out. Uh, they could plan all the time and they write stuff. Because Keith used to raise questions to them too. And they bad jacking us. I said, come, they didn't. Uh, they, they didn't want us to move, but they didn't want us really to be the stay there. But they was making so much money off of me being there that they really bad jacked me, keep me in the place there, and don't move me closer to the Bay Area. They did this, and when the guys heard said, yeah, he had complained about something. He rejected the me to be moved out to the Richmond. Hmm. And I said, that BP was really dirty. But then that's how they operate. But I'm now getting the documents, my medical documents, and reviewing them. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's definitely, not only is there medical neglect going on, but that sounds like some straight fraud. Yeah, that's what it is. Negligence and a whole lot of stuff they were doing. But you, you know, uh, when May came around and I asked him about that, that's the same one that uh, the California uh, uh, Health Care Committee came up and found that guy Clint that worked there that was threatening and all that. That's the same one they fired him. So they wanted to win and let me go. And, and I see now, they were telling me that I had to win on the prison to get okay for me to get that. And they couldn't get okay. And I said, that's crap. You got doctors and physicians here. They can make them decisions. But who is a social worker saying yes or no? on what treatment. Exactly. But they, they sent me back. All that time I was away, I could have been getting the proper therapy and occupational. I didn't get nothing. I used to just go out to the courtyard and kind of raise my legs in the chair. That was the only therapy I was getting all that time I was there. Wow, and how long were you there? 13 months. 
from July 6th of 2020 to August 25th of mm -hmm. 2021. Yeah, subpar care. And you know, there's a... Since the second week of uh, January, from then to now, they have stopped me getting physical therapy and occupational right now. So for two weeks? So for two weeks you haven't been getting your occupational therapy or your physical therapy? They, they stopped all of it. On what grounds did they tell they, you they're stopping it? See, they, 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 they didn't want to give it to me. When the doctor had made them give me therapy back, they cut me down to one day instead of the two days she was recommended. Then they said they're going to see. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. After they see me a few weeks, they evaluate. Well, during that course of that time, they making their CNA, the LVN, the nurses. They making them do their range of motion twice a day. But range of motion is not physical therapy or occupational therapy. Exactly. Exactly. So they're doing the bare minimum in in what's supposed to be the, the most sophisticated, you know, healthcare prison healthcare facility in California. They're doing minimal care, which is no care at all. What, what they're doing is up there trying to stop me from having independent mobility, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not taking me there and stuff. And like I was telling the therapist and not facial, y'all have to stretch me and y'all train to do that because you occupational physical therapy. And what makes me maintain the game of mobility is by y'all stretching me, having me lifting weights to get my shoulder and my arms and do leg press and get my legs stronger. This you try to delegate that to the unit staff who's not trying to do that. And I read this prison law for the Canada. This place about me getting therapy. But they even lied to them because I ain't getting it right now. And they, they said, oh, we ain't getting a range of motion. He getting that twice a day, seven days a week. Range of motion from unprofessional therapists. You have 60 seconds remaining. I'm not getting the proper work I should have. Let me send my love and stuff to you. Okay. I love you too, Satawa. All right. If you are at all interested in uh, Satawa Nantambu Jama'a's situation, and I hope that you are because he is representative and reflects um, a whole lot of imprisoned, modern-day enslaved elders, he's now calling himself an educated slave, um, that is taking place on our watch. So there are two stories uh, that you can go to, both in the San Francisco Bayview's 
National Black Newspapers uh, uh, website. Um, you can read Retaliatory Officer Snatches Medical Parole from Elder Satawa. That was written in October of 2022 about this issue. And also, I'm Satawa Nantambu Jama'a. I will not be violated. Uh, that was printed in October on October 5th of 2022 as well. So if you would check out both of those, and you can find them at www.sfbayview.com. Satawa Nantambu Jama'a is a political prisoner here in California. He should have been home years ago, and he is now um, suffering, I believe, his sixth parole denial. That is an indictment on the state. All right, so before we get started uh, with hearing from New African Joka Hashima Jinsai, who still is imprisoned, in case you have forgotten or you are new to this program, uh, we are going to hear from Ifuma Modibo Kambon, who also emerged um, unbroken from decades of the torture of solitary confinement perpetrated by the California Department of Corrections and Small R Rehabilitation, the state of California, um, um, who is also a new African brother, an elder new African brother who um, should be home by now. But he wrote a tribute to Setawa Nantambu Jama'a, and um, I would like to read that to you. This comes out of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper, July 16th, 2021. Salute to Sitawa. That brother still stands strong, unbroken. A tribute to if by Ifuma Modibo Cambon. The editor's note, which... Uh, was me at the time. This is an excerpt from a recorded conversation with Ifoma about his take on the hunger strikes. I'm always blessed to share what's on my mind with you, whatever's in my heart with you. Black lives matter to me in the realest sense possible. You know, with me it's always can't stop, won't stop. I want to give a salute out to the brother Satawa. I want to give a power salute out to this brother here. You know, he should have been home. He's, and he's still fighting just to go home. They have taken too many of our lives in here. It's time for us. Let the brother go home and spend time with his family. He's not a threat. He's not coming back here. I salute him because this brother here, despite all the obstacles that existed in Pelican Bay in terms of communication, it was his ability to organize that hunger strike, to give it direction and guidance. It was him who added value and principles to that strike. It was him who came up with the idea of the demands. It was him who was visionary. I salute him, Sitawa, because it was his leadership that made the hunger strike possible. It was him unbroken. He's an unbroken lion. He's a part of a generation that came up before us, of fighters, black resistance fighters. Sorry, black resistance fighters. So I salute the brother. It was his organizing skills that made it possible for all the other inmates to come together. It was his voice that gave guidance and direction to that hunger strike and created the movement, the momentum for that participation. He is the one who exemplifies the can't stop, won't stop spirit. So I salute that brother. He is the hunger strike. The only thing that got him is an invention by the supreme 
creator. That brother still stands strong, unbroken. His work today remains strong, although he's in a bad medical place right now. But this brother here is still can't stop, won't stop until he takes his last breath. I salute him. And there's other brothers like me who sing his praises. And he understood that it just wasn't about the individuals. It was about us, us. How can we, not just a single person, but how we together can bring home to bring some form of justice and relief from what they've been doing. It was this brother who stood up. And he had decades of standing up as a man and not tolerating the racism and oppression that existed in these environments. It was that brother who stood up in the spirit of all those who came before him. So we salute him, Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a. To talk about the hunger strike is to talk about that brother's skills and what he contributed more so than anybody. And although we aren't necessarily putting anybody on a platform, because with him, when I speak of him, I say us. There's no I, it's us. We, as community. Because he recognized that in order to save himself, he's got to save all of us. There can't be any saving individual selves. There's got to be the saving of us all. It's can't stop, won't stop. That belief, we before I. And so, while other people got the fame they talked about in the books, Satawa came from generations before him, a black man who stood up, who valued black lives. He stood up in that tradition, that history of being resilient. We got a history of being resilient people that despite all the obstacles, all the oppression and brutality, here I stand, here I rise again. And he, bruh, he exemplified so much of what it is to be black, especially in prison, all that he went through as a man just to be and live as a man, as a black man. So, the hunger strike to me really represents our history, our history of resistance, our history of putting some value on black lives, a struggle of justice, of fairness, of equality, where we refuse to live on our knees. We stood up enough. We tried so many ways to appeal to their conscience that something was wrong. How do you allow men to just idly live year after year with no hope? No hope. And he decided enough was enough. Let's come together. Just like George said, settle your quarrels. Come together. Come together and understand that fascism all still exists. But aside, put aside your differences. He understood all that. So I salute him because it was under those circumstances. If you know what the structure of Pelican Bay is, you really get an appreciation of how he was able to organize that hunger strike when you got mass when you get massive participation. But the thing is, the day after, you still got the brothers, the elderly men, still standing up fighting, still haven't abandoned the struggle, still living in the footsteps of those who came before them. That's our story. The story doesn't start in the middle. We always got to go to the beginning, the beginning of the men who died inside these walls, who fought in the spirit of resistance, we don't have to go to another land and get a hero to apply to our hunger strike. We had the men already here who gave their lives for the struggle. The struggle for the creation of a new humanity, of new values and ethics by which men see other men and men see women differently in a more humane manner, where you really get a sense of what it is to do justice, what they really mean, justice and fairness. And these men... These men who gave their lives for that cause, bruh, Satawa is a reflection of those principles and ideas. 
All right, we are going to take a quick musical break with Book of Life by Star. Shot of what it's looking like from the inner sight and the light, living heights. I ain't never giving up until I get it right. So let's get it right, right. This is my book of life, a snapshot of what it's looking like from the inner sight and the light, living heights. I ain't never giving up until I get it right. So let's get it right, ride your blank check, niggas. Fictional figures, my pull gravitational, finger on trigger, locked in, loaded, matrix decoded, no spoon, honey on my tongue like a shoon, sweet words for your soul, break shackles on the lowest fundamental, living the truth, keeping it simple, on the roll B, this plane can't hold me, letting go of the low, higher self-control we heads ain't really free like parolees, Kenobi, getting too comfortable, cause today they bumping you, bluffing with that hand, life steady trumping you, my hard rocks, hard knock no Slapping, first run original, sitting on the patent, firm on the assets, dissolving the past debts, status corrected, Kevlar protected, not that it's needed, cause I won't be defeated. This is my book of life, a snapshot of what it's looking like, from the inner sight and the light, living heights, I ain't never giving up until I get it right, so let's get it right, right. This is my book of life, a snapshot of what it's looking like, from the inner sight and the light, living heights, I ain't never giving up until I get it right, so let's get it right, right, paint the town green like Hulk smash scenes, throwing Molotovs, sticking to the theme, mother nature spark blower, flowing the arc of Noah, focus on the outcome, best believe I know a good thing when I see it, I am because I be it, sitting on clips of Molly, holding a Medi with Kali, Aquanian, compassionate, conceiving immaculate, working the angles, shrouded by angels, there's a natural mystic, some say it's quantum physics, simple as ABC, but you won't get it with a P. If you're not ready, better get get on it. Quick on the beat as I spit, spit on it. Talk a little slick on it in my pocket. Lock it like Nessie on my square. So test me and lose. Abuse villains because they poor masters. Anything less than the truth is haphazard. This is my book of life. A snapshot of what it's looking like. From the inner sight and the light. Living heights. I ain't never giving up until I get it right. So let's get it right, right. This is my book of life. A snapshot of what it's looking like from the inner sight and the light living heights i ain't never giving up until i get it right so let's get it right right blow up the crack spots take back our soldiers nothing like a little love to bring things in focus give hope to hopeless swift as the lotus spit gnosis to reverse the hypnosis through yoga poses quick to get open return to the pyramids unlock the mystery it's written on the walls tap into your history our bodies hold the greatest story ever told dna is the scroll unlock and unfold control crews my worldviews based on science questioning what they tell me more self-reliant under the cars clothes holes drugs and alcohol the elements and foundations still solid y'all knowledge itself got me higher than that purple kush fire like the burning bush not the button wanna push shush flying heads like the nike swoosh this is my book of life a snapshot of what it's looking like from the inner sight and the light living heights I ain't never giving up until I get it right. So let's get it right, right. This is my book of life, a snapshot of what it's looking like. From the inner sight and the light, living heights. I ain't never giving up until I get it right. So let's get it right, right.
All right. Um, we were going to go ahead and hear from Joka Hashima Jinsai, but I have received yet another, in this case, a very disturbing uh, letter from uh, one of our people inside. Uh, he is a contributor, contributing writer to uh, the San Francisco Bayview newspaper, um, an organizer and activist in Texas. His name is Jason Walker, and um, he had re- uh, sent out a letter to his supporters <clears throat> with a serious cry for help. So here is the letter. Um, and I'm getting this from the Blue Ridge Anarchist Black Cross because they are going to do a phone zap, which will you will hear me uh, read at the end of this letter. So from then, they write out, Jason Walker, an imprisoned writer and organizer in the Texas prison system, is facing immediate danger from a possible transfer back to Connolly Union Unit, where he had faced credible threats of assassination, had faced harassment, being fed food, he has allergies to, forced into isolation with no clothing or blankets, and has made a call for support. Um... I've uh, since I've been with the San Francisco Bayview over these past three, three and a half years. Um, yes, most of the time, what we are hearing from Jason Renard Walker is uh, retaliation uh, for his activist work on the inside. This is Jason Renard Walker. I'm currently at the Wayne Scott Unit. As of now, I'm not sure where my property or idea is. The purpose of this letter is to request as much support as possible in regards to not being transferred back to the Connolly unit, which is due to occur at the end of this month. The purpose is to avoid a contracted order to kill me. Call to the Connolly unit's warden office, Connolly unit's regional director's office, the executive director's office, Governor Greg Abbott's office, ombudsman complaints, and calls to the state classification committee will give me the best shot. The reason it is important to contact these particular individuals is in case some or one or another give you the runaround or ignore the problem altogether. I was transferred here from Connolly on December 8th after spending five days naked in a Connolly unit strip cell and being offered nothing but fish sandwiches every meal during that span. I have a documented allergy to fish. On December 4th, Saturday, inmates on 8 Building J-Pod that live on one section had arranged to stab me with knives smuggled in by guards. Inmates from 2 and 3 section were also due to illegally come to one section through the supervised, quote, supervisors only crossover doors that connect all three sections via the guard working in the pod's door control picket. The reason I knew this would take place is because I heard inmates talking out the back window Friday night accusing me of being the one who led guards to two inmates that lived in J-20 cell and J-3 cell that had contraband cell phones. These two phones were confiscated on November 22nd, 2022 by Sergeant Motes and other staff. I believe inmate Bruce Rogers told them that. I was also accused of getting Officer Lopez and Lieutenant OG in trouble for following inmates from other sections through the locked crossover door so they could pass these same phones back and forth. Lopez was working the J-Pod picket. The stabbing was to occur Saturday morning during daytime room, day room time, excuse me. I only assume to ensure the stabbing took place, the guard, Alvarez, and his co-worker passed out commissary slips the night before. That would be December 2nd, early December 3rd, before the first shift. And stated we was due to have a commissary spend spend Saturday morning so as to flush me out of the cell and unknowingly prone to 
a sneak attack by inmates involved in all three sections. Once I heard the first shift officer tell several inmates who asked that we weren't having having a commissary spend, I knew the lie was in support of the hit. So I played sleep in my cell, covered my door, and observed the day room from a peephole. Sure enough, six inmates were in the day room in battle gear, pointing and gesturing at my cell, shoes wrapped down with socks, hands wrapped, and in their jacket pocket to keep the knife in place. When they saw the picket guard wouldn't open my cell at their request, they unwrapped and told the other sections to, quote, wait, it ain't good yet, unquote, meaning I wasn't around yet. When I was n- when it was near time for the first in and out, this is doors open briefly so we can go in or grab something, inmate working lackey Leroy, a.k.a. King G, who's a G4 inmate that's a allowed to work, came to the pod and told them, when the door opened, don't do no talking, just go straight in and pop him. Then he mentioned, if I come out, Gordo would wear me down in a one-round fight, then the others would stab me. Leroy plays the Christian role, but actually serves the interests of guards and any illegal money-taking, any money-making activity. He was also allowed to pass out mail when he worked night shift. With the guard coming for the in and out in five minutes and me not having enough time to put together a homemade knife, I cut my wrist with a razor, lay down by the door, and played dead. Not only would this draw medical staff, cameras, and ranking guards, it would force all inmates in their cell and get me taken to the infirmary safely on a stretcher and to my current location where I can get this letter to you. Up to that point, my outgoing mail wasn't being mailed out, but rerouted to an inmate named Tracy and stopped. A reply... From an emergency letter to Nubay from me is still outstanding, and incoming mail was delivered to me empty. I actually heard Tracy recite to other staff that only, oh, sorry, recite, yes, others' stuff that only the receiver of my mail would know. An inmate named Bruce Rogers, who lived in J-17 cell, had sent me threatening notes suggesting if I didn't help him escape, he would tell inmates I sent guards to the cells and the phones were found in, uh, the phones were found in and that I would be killed. The letter I sent to Nube cited each note. I sent them to the warden's office, but I believe the envelope was given to Tracy. My name wasn't in it. Rogers had been moved from one, another, from another unit after getting caught trying to play a staffer to help him escape. I'm sorry, caught trying to pay a staffer to help him escape. Somehow he wasn't placed in solitary, but put on the pod with me. He had been in solitary before for trying to escape. The only action I can request that will give me any meaningful safety is placement in safekeeping until I'm released because I have already been in many past incidents that show I need it. But in TDCJ, that's the um, Texas Department of... uh, Sorry, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. It's not something I can request because the unit will say I don't qualify. Not because I don't, but because a lot of paperwork is involved. Plus, if anything further happens, a lawsuit is winnable. So it can only occur if numerous parties demand that my classification file be reexamined and each complaint that got me a unit transfer be reviewed to show that there is a pattern of attempts to kill me since 2019 and at Ellis Unit, Allred Unit, McConnell Unit, Bill Clements Unit, Michael Unit, Boyd Unit, Hughes Unit, and now Connolly Unit. 
A big focus should be on the Michael unit because I was nearly killed with a fan motor and investigations proved cell phones were used to initiate the hit and the attempted murder charges and disciplinary charges I faced were dismissed because it was self-defense. Focus should also be on the Clements unit because it was proven white supremacists were using cell phones to organize my death and one was caught with the murder weapon and even admitted his affiliation, his involvement and turned over notes sent to him with my full name in them. So the complaint that is filed should raise these issues and a demand should be made that I should be placed in safekeeping and for no other reason be sent back to the colony unit. And sorry, and for no reason be sent back to the Connolly unit. No complaints should be made to this unit. It's useless. And lastly, Bruce Rogers should be questioned concerning Connolly unit since he has an escape history but was placed around me and not in solitary. I'm not sure if he's still at Connolly. I really appreciate any and all help with this issue because at this point I'm not sure how to defend myself from multiple and simultaneous assaults. In solidarity, Jason. Okay, the relevant contacts are Connolly Unit Warden at 830-583-4003, the regional office at 361-362-6328. And I'm so sorry, um, the Connolly Unit Warden's name is Edmundo Cueto. So Edmundo, and then Cueto is C-U-E-T-O. Regional office, again, 361-362-6328. And that's David Blackwell, Eric Guerrero, Catherine Gaitan, and Stephanie Sanchez. Executive director's office is 512-463-9998. Greg Abbott is the governor, one 800 843 5789 or 512-463-1782. The Ombudsman's Office, 833-598-2700 or 936-437-5620. And the State Classification Committee, 936 936- Four three seven six five seven one. There is a template message that you can use uh, for this phone zap. And um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you um, if you go to the final straw radio. That's all one word. The final straw radio dot no blogs dot org. Um, and if you if you go there and you can scroll down. Um, uh, for and see the phones app for Jason Renard Walker. I do encourage you to make those calls. Remember, if nothing else, we have our voice and we have every right as free world citizens to call these prisons and make demands to protect our people inside. This is not the first time Jason Walker has been, um, whose, whose life has been uh, threatened, and he unfortunately represents far too many of our um, resistors inside, our activists inside, um, and um, so again, if you can help, you can get all of that information uh, by going to the final straw radio.noblogs.org. All right, I am going to read a couple of uh, short pieces again from the SF Bayview and you can find them at www.sfbayview.com there's a little bit more upbeat um, 
and a little more uh, solution-based. So this first piece is from, uh, well, yes, solution-based. Don't let me take down a cry for help, which is very important. Um, but these are, um, these are more articles. Uh, this is by Kenneth Morrow. Dear SF Bayview, hello again. Thank you for your subscription of your informative paper. Concerning Volume 47, Number 7, Article, ACLU Report Finds Widespread Coercion of Incarcerated Workers Across U.S. Slavery. I'm requesting you publish this missive in your newspaper as an incentive to change the 13th Amendment Clause barring slavery in U.S. prisons by way of forcing prisoners to work for pennies an hour or nothing, no minimum wage, only exploited, overworked, or underpaid. This exception clause in the state constitution should be repealed immediately because it smacks of Jim Crow colonial white supremacy power over blacks, Mexicans, and all prisoners. The reason for passing a bill to change the constitution would be an incentive for minimum wage so fathers in prison could now pay for child support. For this reason alone, I believe the public would vote to change the constitution. Children could have the financial support of their fathers, and incarcerated fathers would have a sense of love and connection. Everyone wants our children to be taken care of by their parents. Not everyone. The sixth point the ACLU presented in their article above should also be implemented. Prisoners generate $11 billion a year for this state's government. There are 2.1 million people incarcerated in U.S. prisons, and they produce close to $100 billion for the country. Health, love, and building bonds with your children from behind bars by paying for their needs would bring about the healing of broken homes and change the image of a deadbeat dad, improving the lives of fathers and public safety. The Department of Finance said it would cost $1.5 billion to pay prisoners minimum wage here in California. Since prisoners generate $11 billion, $2 billion of, the, $2 billion of it in goods, would $1.5 billion really cost too much? Money should never take precedence over freedom. If the people fail to pass the bill, um, ACA 3, Kamlager, then maybe they should consider reconsider adding child support to the bill. This bill never made it to the ballot, thanks to our president-seeking Governor Newsom. I've been incarcerated 40 years. Change the slavery exception clause of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which was created to end slavery. I honestly believe this child support idea would sway the people of California to pass the bill and could be the catalyst to end slavery once and for all. Let's end it in part for millions of children. Peace. Kenneth R. Morrow. And you can send our brother some love and light to Kenneth R. Morrow. C53683 is his CDR number. CDCR number. SVSP, that's Salinas Valley State Prison, SVSP, P.O. Box 1050, Soledad, California, 93960. Every time I read the, the work that comes in through our prisoners inside, it just, oh, I always have, they just get me going. It's very, it's, it, they're inspiring. They make me think. Uh, they make me want to comment. They, they keep me engaged. And... You know, I just, I always feel this hopefulness and this sense that, you know, they understand that they are being enslaved. It's us out here that really need to get it. And, um, you know, this idea that, but, you know, and then, you know, as we are learning, you know, you realize where some of the disconnects are. Um, like, no, there is a whole system that doesn't care about our black children. 
They don't care at all. But when you are a person that thinks through your humanity and and you have still love and care, you, of course you think that nobody could possibly want to harm my child. Well, this is the system that, that we live in. In fact, they do. Not everyone wants our children to be taken care of by their parents. That is exactly why you know, we have generations of trauma of our children being separated from one another, uh, separated from their families. The indigenous people in this country know this very well. Um, and so, you know, it just, it also kind of hurts my heart, uh, because, you know, there is still so much, so much love and empathy and hope and care and, um, you know, and, and desire for this world that keep this other world. And, um, and it's coming from the prisoners. These are supposed to be the people that we're supposed to be afraid of. Um, but we know again that um, this uh, this is you know part of kind of the the, the colonized mind, um, and of course this is exactly Jim Crow and colonial white false supremacy. Um, so I think this is a beautiful uh, uh, piece of work here, especially thinking about how um, you know paying our our people inside minimum wage, right? Of course we know. Uh, that that would be beneficial to um, our families and our community, and that's that's the idea, uh, because we know that uh, when people are happy, when they're able to take care of themselves and their families, um, they don't have any reason to put themselves at risk of being imprisoned. All right, and here is another article, again, very, very short. Wanted, Radical Sisterhood for Our Trans Siblings in Prison. This is by Dana Gray. When people are allowed to perpetuate falsehoods unchecked, the ones who live in their shadow clutch tightly in fear and ignorance from rumors. This is the fallout of incitement. Mass hysteria is parallel to lemmings following each other off of a cliff. This is what is happening at CCWF. That's the California... Uh, excuse me, Central California Women's Facility in regards to SB 132, the Transgender Respect Agency and Dignity Act, at the, which allows incarcerated transgender, non-binary, and intersex people to request to be housed and searched in a manner consistent with their gender identity. The inmates there. They have had a difficult transition, integration since February 2022. Some of it has been their, of their own doing because of disciplinaries, and some of it not. In any gender identity group, there will always be the ones who are unethical. This includes cisgenders, transgender, males and lesbians who make up the natal female population. This factor is not alien to any other gender identity. It is just under the microscope more because... The SB 132 population is so small and the focus is not on the person as a human being doing their own time, but their physical intactness. This, how this is any different from the natal women who have gender affirming surgery or not, but identify, hurt people hurt people through hate as a distraction to their own trauma. CCWF did not prepare the population for SB 132 inmates, nor did they prepare SB 132 inmates for CCWF. 
I have befriended one gen transgender female here in the 512 Honor Dorm. She has been pleasant, courteous, respectfully aware of the natal female's fears of SB 132 inmates in general, and she is ADP. That's an AIDS drug assistance program worker in the unit. And yet, she has been derided and verbally abused, highly discriminated against and secretly complained against by some staff and inmates alike, and then assaulted in the chow hall by a transgender male who is now an ADSEG. Most of these incidents have been perpetuated by 512 Honor Dorm residents. She has been denied the same rights given other HD residents, like a common courtesy bed move. She hasn't asked for anything else unless it was related to her disability. Yes, she is not only a 68-year-old silver fox, but deaf, which has made integration even harder due to communication issues. People in general do not understand that there are many levels of deafness, and just because someone wears a hearing aid doesn't make them hear well. Not cheap CDC small-R hearing aids for sure. So, how to remedy the overall discrimination? Well, there was no one thing that could smooth this path. The bottom line is that SB 132 is the law. One would do well to bear that in mind. Aren't inmates to obey the law? Isn't that a part of our rehabilitation? Until it is not, SB 132 is here to stay and it is up to us to make it work. That's what integration means. It doesn't work on its own just because it is in Title 15 in the Penal Code. It's going to take the entire CCWF population to put on their big girl, big boy panties in a community effort to make it work. All trans people deserve to be treated with respect and dignity because they are human beings, not objects. Thank you for considering another point of view, Dana Gray. You can send our sister some love and light at Dana Gray. Her CDCR number is W76776. She's at CCWF. Um, and her dorm is 512-17-4L, P.O. Box 1508, Chowchilla, California, 93610. And again, here is that highlighted that we have to look to each other to protect each other. Because prisons, just like out here, are unfortunately out here even, are not places where we are encouraged to take care of each other. Unfortunately, we are encouraged, this is how this system continues to be able to perpetuate itself, to... Uh, be at each other's odds, to look at, e at each other as the one at fault, as the enemy, as, uh, as, the, um, as the problem. And instead, there are these systems in place and the people that uphold these systems that make it worse, as we just heard also from uh, Jason Renard Walker about what the guards are doing in there and how they set up prisoners to hurt each other. Um, and they do it by offering incentives or um, or threatening them that they will they will lose some of their uh, meager I don't even want to call them comforts but some kind of some amenity uh, to make their situation um, inside of these prisons better and only if they will do the bidding of the guards to make it worse um, and of course then when we have um, you know, sub subcultures that, um, you know, greater portions of the population want to um, scapegoat um, in prison is so much easier. So here, people, again, are being asked to work this out. Let's make sure that we are caring for another one another as human beings, because we are all in this horrible situation. So, 
again, um, something positive, which I really appreciate. Um, and you can find it at www.sfbayview.com. All right, beautiful people. I'd like to end with um, one of the thank you letters, one of the many thank you letters that we get at uh, the SF Bayview um, from our prisoners, our people inside who are modern day enslaved. And um, I, I want to read this uh, a quick thank you. It comes along uh, with a poem. And um, this is called You Can Find It by James Beasley. To whom it may concern, I greet you in peace and power. I'm writing to respectfully thank you for all you do to keep the masses informed and the struggle moving forward. I wrote a poem I think you'll appreciate and hopefully it will make the paper. And I'm reading this also because I want to extend that thank you out to all of you um, that uh, he is James Beasley is giving thanks to because it is not just us who are in this struggle uh, to keep our people empowered and informed. It. You can find it in the black household and in the hood, on urban blocks. You can find it in church or in the projects. You can find it at a voodoo fete or a santeria ceremony. You can find it in the black rhythms that vibrate through black conversations. You can find it in various shades from light to dark. You can find it in struggle, in the will to overcome. You can find it in black success, in black excellence. You can find it in our blood, sweat, and tears. For wherever there's blacks, you will find the power of Africa. You can send our brothers some love and light at James Beasley, J43687, Sentinella State Prison, D4-209, P.O. Box 931, Imperial, California, 92251. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. And we'll head on out of here with Chance to Say My Peace by Taylor McFerrin and Marcus Gilmore. Mm-hmm.